Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Alien vs. Predator Galaxy podcast. This is episode 172, and I am Adam Zeller, a.k.a. Richtop, joined, as usual, by... Aaron Percival, a.k.a. Corporal Hicks. Do I not get your attempt at a uh, thematic little side sideline? Fellow engineer on an icy planet, I guess. There's an attempt. <laughs> we could be Wayland yutani commandos. Okay, sure. Yeah, my Wayland yutani ape-suited up squad mate, Aaron Percival. And today we have an interview for you with the head writer of the recently concluded Alien Thaw arc from Marvel Comics. And that is Declan Shalvey. It was really great talking to him about his work on this comic. And he gave us a bit of a teaser on the annual, which just came out, which we've actually just read and recently recorded a review on that as well as, as this arc. Which will be out after this episode. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so we're recording this a little after the interview and a little after the fact. You might notice if you're, if you're watching this, it is nighttime for me and it's early in the morning for Aaron. So this one's been a logistical nightmare, but we've got there. But we're finally doing it. Just the two minutes before and after the interview, everything else is all done. So yeah, but don't worry about that. So just uh, for you all listening or watching, hope you enjoy the interview. So, Declan, thanks so much for joining us. First to start off, can you tell our audience about who you are outside of Alien Thought? Who am I? I mean, who am I? I am a guy from Ireland. I have been working in comics for over 10 years now, which is crazy. I'm kind of probably more known for the guy who drew Moon Knight uh, working with Warren Ellis. They used character design for the TV show last year, so it's kind of like my biggest profile, I guess. But I've been work, working primarily as an artist for years, and I kind of transitioned more into writing in the last last five years, I guess. Uh, and I've written stuff like Deadpool vs. Man Logan at Marvel, a lot of creator own stuff. And uh, I'm currently doing, I'm currently writing and drawing a book called Old Dog at Image Comics. So I've been around for a while doing various jobs, but primarily known as an artist. But um, in the last few years, writer artist. Yeah, and I, I was the last thing I was expecting was to be invited on this franchise, which was yeah, it was totally out of left field. But uh, yeah, I'm loving it. So one of our traditions on the podcast is to ask our guests about the first time they ever encountered the creature we're talking about. So do you remember the first time the alien entered your life? Was it through one of the films or did you experience it in, in another way? Yeah, it would have been the films. I mean, what, Alien was out 70, 78, 79? 79. 79, yeah. So I, was, I wasn't even born, born three years later. But I remember seeing, you know, clips of, uh, maybe on TV or maybe it was on, you know, it was a film on or something late at night and just like terrifying. So I, I don't remember exactly the first time. I think maybe with a bunch of like young friends, somebody got a copy of it on VHS and was playing with it. But like I couldn't, I couldn't watch it. Like I was just way, way too scared. So I was aware of the film franchise, but I, think I went to go see Alien Four in a cinema. Thought it was very weird and confusing. So I wasn't really mad to watch any more of it. But it wasn't until um, years later, a girlfriend sat me down to watch watch Alien. 
and it blew my mind. Like, I mean, I knew I knew of it culturally. I knew the creatures, but again, I was such a scaredy cat. I couldn't face, <laughs> couldn't face them until I was in my twenties. But I do. I just, I think definitely the Geiger. I think there was like Geiger out, um, art book out, especially when I was in college. Geiger would have been huge. Um, when I was in art college, everybody loved mm-hmm. H.R. Geiger. So, um, of course, all that stuff went around. But I just that monster design just grabs you the first time you see it. So, um, it was more of a looming thing that it was that terrified me from a young age. So, did you go see Resurrection in the cinema? Yeah, yeah. That, what year was that? Was that 97? 96? 97? Somewhere around there. Yeah, so it was about 14, 15. I think I have a memory of seeing like the third one, maybe when I was younger. It's a different time. Like back in the day, so we we're roughly the same age. But in, in Ireland, like you'd catch a bit of a film, but then if you missed it, you'd never see it. You know, like VHS <laughs> came around then, yeah. you know, but it was hard to get it. But here we got things years later. You know, if a film came out in the States, we'd get it like five years later or something like that. And even at that, again, if you missed it, then you never got to see it. So it's not as easy as it as now to like just watch watch a film that came out years ago. Admittedly, VHS was became a thing, but there were guardrails around that, you know. You know, if you went to a video place to rent it, like if you were a kid going in there, they're not gonna give it to you. So your best bet is to film it off is to record it off the TV. Mm-hmm when it was on but if your parents are around you can't get away with that either like there were more <laughs> there were more guardrails to that stuff I think it was you know maybe it's just because I'm older but like I, I feel like that was kind of more exciting you know yeah like rather than now where you can literally just watch whatever you want whenever you want it was a huge so I taped the special edition of Aliens off of Sky One oh, one yeah. year and then I spent years scouring the TV guides looking for Alien on the various Sky movies and it was an absolute huge achievement when I found it at like 1am in the morning on Sky Movie yeah. Classics, set the VHS to uh, the timer to record it and I could finally watch it. Having only seen Aliens and Alien 3 at that point. So yeah, I totally get you. Yeah, it was a huge achievement getting all of these things and yeah. uh, getting to experience them back then. Yeah, I mean, this isn't the same thing, but I, I remember being in school when I was, I don't know, 12 or 13 or something and Under Siege was on TV. And <laughs> if you're of that age, like the most amazing thing was that the girl from Baywatch took her top off on it. You know, like, because as a kid, you watch Baywatch and then you hear that's happening and everyone in the school's like, did you see that last? You know, and it's stupid because we're all stupid kids, but those are things that happen. You don't have those kind of like, I don't want to say like <laughs> formative moments in your life, but you do remember when things were a big deal because they were mm. one-offs. Which you know is 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 something you don't think about when you're younger, but like now you're like, I think we do miss those kind of communal experiences for for better or worse. You know, like we don't watch films as a culture anymore. You know, that the weekend something comes out, or you know, the the, the window goes because you're like, ah, I'll watch it in streaming or whatever. Uh, I mean, of course, it's brilliant because you can get to watch whatever you want now. But I, I think I think something been lost. But you know, maybe it's good, maybe it's bad, but mm. it's definitely a thing. I I feel a lot more overwhelmed nowadays so yeah, i've got choice paralysis a lot yeah you know you're like i want i'm gonna watch i'm gonna watch a crime movie you're like you're just like i don't know eh, not that one uh, i don't like him oh i heard this one's good and then 15 minutes later and i still haven't my dinner's gone cold mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and i don't know what to watch i fall back on an old classic every time as well so yeah. oh yeah i'll watch he's again <laughs> And touching a bit more on H.R. Giger, one of the friendly debates on our forums that has seeped its way into our traditional interview questions is about his original alien design. It's widely known that there's a skull incorporated into that original design. And we love to know if people prefer the skull being visible or barely noticeable as it is in the finished film. So 
I believe the aliens in your comic do have the skulls that you can see. So it's much more that classic original design. Is that what you prefer? Or do you like the more ridged headed design that we saw in the second film? I, I like seeing the skull. Like, not all the time, but like, I think I only realized in retrospect that the skull was there because in in 4, just that hybrid kind of has that head. I remember it really freaked me out at the time, but um, but it makes, I understand now why that they were doing it. Because I'm like, why doesn't it just have a dome? But I, I see it now. I think it's really cool when you see, when you see it. I think we've just strictly used the, the design from the first film. What's the term? The big man? Big tap. Big chap, yeah. So that's specifically the design we've used. So that's a that's a licensing thing, man. Interesting. I wonder if it's yeah, like because yeah, it I think there's only been one Aliens branded comic mm-hmm. under Marvel, which was that Benjamin Percy. That's right. Yeah. So I wonder. Yeah, if well, I mean, I don't know if you can show the skull or not necessarily. It, has, it hasn't come up. I mean, it's Andrea drawing it, like. But I mean, I, I do. I think the skull is cool. Less is more. Like if you see it like a little tight, like if there's like light is hitting it a certain way, I think it's cool. I don't like actually seeing it in there a hundred percent. But I think even yeah. um, I think I've seen a couple of covers, Marvel covers, where it's kind of subtly in there. Maybe. Yeah, and and that's how I think it was in the first movie as well. I mean, well, it really just depends on how the light was hitting it. Yeah, it was kind of obscure. Yeah, which I which I think is the cool way the cool way to do it because it is interesting. Like I did I did try do a cover with the skull in there, but it didn't it didn't get through approvals. But I would have liked to have drawn it. It's pretty cool. So that I mean that's fair. It's it's one of those divisive topics. Is it divisive? It well, at least on the boards anyway. Uh, on, on our mm. little nerdy corner of the internet, it is. <laughs> I'm pro skull. I find it haunting the idea of just this the empty features. Yeah, but you know, I I totally get where people come from as well in terms of the no features at all, so that you know there's no perception at all going off as to what you could expect the alien to be. I think it works better seeing the dome and then finding out there's something in there. I think that's really cool, rather than just straight up seeing something in yeah. there. You get you get both. You get layers of, layers of reveal. Yeah. yeah, no, I get that. I get that. While Alien has only been with Marvel uh, a very short time now, you know, nearly two years, around about that. Been, yeah, just over it, saying, yeah. The, the franchise does have an extensive expanded universe, though. Through Dark Horse, old comics, through the old books, old games, you know, it's a big expanded universe. And you have now joined this family. How familiar were you with the previous novels or comics or games or what have you before you started working on Thor? Not at all, basically. I have friends who are hardcore, you know, like hard, hardcore. I, I was. I was uh, having a drink with a couple of friends when I told them I got off of the gig and they were like, oh, but what about this, that and the other? I'm like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. I had read some comics. I mean, I love um, Alien Salvation, the um, Ignola, Dave Gibbons. I mean, that's one of the best comics ever made, I think. Colored by Hollingsworth, lettered by, who lettered that? I can't remember. Tutline, maybe? And I think Alien Labyrinth, because like an Irish artist, Killian Plunkett, drew that. So I remember reading that back in the day. And then there's the odd. I mean, I really liked the dark. I kind of pop in and in and out of the dark horse stuff because again, I really, I really liked the aesthetic of them, which is why I try. I mean, I, I don't know if anybody noticed, but like my goal with the Marvel comics was to try and point them back towards the dark horse aesthetic a bit more, just because when you look at the at the films, they're so dark and slimy and hot and sweaty and you know i think a lot of comic art can get very kind of slick looking and i just which is fine i mean especially for like something like superheroes but i definitely wanted a kind of a gritty or aesthetic to, to those so i the dark horse stuff i'm quite affectionate about marvel sent me pretty much everything that had been published because marvel have republished the dark horse stuff as compendiums and have you seen them they sent me like the pdfs like and there was so much stuff my feeling was um when i worked on moon Knight with warren ellis 
I remember talking to him and he said he read the first six issues of Moon Knight and nothing else. And I was like, oh, wow, we didn't, there's so much Moon Knight. Like, why didn't you read more? He was like, I just wanted to get to the core of the concept and not get bogged down by by everything else and just take do my version of that. And I thought that was a much healthier way to approach it. Not that I ignored everything, but like my feeling was the best way to get to a good alien story was to just kind of boil it right down to what makes a good alien story as regards like what fits into the mythology of everything. Because then you can just get lost and all that stuff. Now, as a result, you can you can come up with something that's been done before, which is very annoying. But it's I think it's easier to work with the editors and go like, here's an here's an idea, and they'll they'll say you can't do that because of it's been done here. Rather than me research stuff for months and get just kind of crumbled in underneath everything. So I I rewatched the first two films because those are my favorite ones. I watched Covenant just to kind of see the difference between where the yeah. franchise is now and where and where it started and. I just kind of paired things. I just kind of made a little list about what I felt an alien story was first. And then I kind of, I worked from there and pitched, you pitch Marvel, but 20, also they see everything you do too. So um, it's better, I feel, to get a slam dunk when you just take the ball, pair things down into a ball and just try shooting through the hoop rather than take a load of balls and just throw them all towards the hoop and yeah. something hits. Which, I mean, I'm sure my, my worry was that alien fans would like, I, I was trying to, I was straight up honest and saying like, I haven't been like a hardcore alien guy my whole life because I don't want to make out something I'm not. But I do think maybe a fresh perspective would be something that would be good for the franchise rather than, you know, to be fair, actually, I don't know if Philip was a hardcore alien guy, to be honest. I haven't really talked to him. I don't, I don't think you need to be hardcore in order to find a good story. Same with anything like Marvel could drop a character in front of me. I mean, I could find cool stuff. If they gave me something like Daredevil, which I'm a huge fan of, I'd find that harder because I love so many of the stories that I'd get I'd get overwhelmed. I'm like, oh no, what I do mm-hmm. here? And you'd kind of get stage fright. Whereas with something like, like something that you're not obsessed with, I think you can come in cleaner. And then, you know, you always have people who can guide you through things and, and help you with it or tell you, no, you can't do that. I felt if I could nail down the core and if 20th were going to agree with that, then I thought everything was going to be fine because um, it's such a wide universe. There's so much you can do with it. And yeah, I wanted to kind of let my imagination go free rather than trying to find out what can I do that isn't like this and isn't like that and isn't like this. So sorry, that's my long-winded answer trying to justify my... No, I mean, that's, that's fair. I mean, so it's it's trying to purposefully not avoid doing what's already been done in a way. Yeah, well, also like, like we we're saying about choice paralysis. You know, you yeah. can kind of have idea paralysis where if you've read every single thing, then everything you're going to come up with is in the context of something else. Yeah. How how do I do something new? And it makes yeah. That isn't the thing. That isn't that thing. Or yeah. that, like how many how many stories have there been? Like I did I did have a pitch for one nice story idea, which apparently had already been done. Twenty were like, no, we did that in whatever, which is fine. But like, I'm glad I didn't spend so much time and try step around that idea. At least mm. the idea got shut down because it had been done before, which is which is that's okay. I, I'm I'm fine with that. I was disappointed, but of course somebody else beat me to it. So you know. So from a from a creative point of view, then from a writing point of view, sorry specifically, do you think it's a lot harder to work with franchises that have a bigger mythology? Do you think it's daunting for like Star Wars or, or Star Trek creatives to come in there and have to be aware of all this stuff that's taken place? I don't know because I think there's pluses and negatives. Like the negatives are what I was just saying to you. The pluses is a lot of the stuff is figured out already, you know? Can Xenomorphs fly? No, because the rules are in there. You know, like the franchise has its universe, the basic rules of the universe. And sometimes it's actually very helpful to just kind of step in and work within that universe. You know, I don't need to establish if um, they can breathe oxygen or if um, humans can, I don't know, 
have androids in the brain, like any kind of concept, like a Star Trek story, there's so much to it, but the universe is vast, the basic rules are there, so you can work within it. If I had to come up with a whole new concept, a whole new science fiction con- fiction concept, all the world building takes a long time. You know, I've, I do a lot of creator-owned stuff, and tough thing is like, how do you introduce this world to a reader in a way that isn't like really boring and just talks to you all the time establish the world establish the characters yada 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 with something like alien you just really need to establish the location and the character like the characters definitely you know that's the most important thing but you know you know xenomorph on an ice planet boom like the work's kind of already there you know it's just a matter Mm -hmm. of how you tell the story some rules can be a little um conflicting like i did have some kind of um uh, not problems you know ideas that 20th would have shot down because it didn't work for some other story that I didn't know about or from a novel or something you know um, but you know those things aren't so bad either because you can come up with creative solutions like I try I try and take work for higher gigs as an opportunity to work like with the obstacles rather than against the obstacles that makes mm-hmm. sense so sorry to, like I'm not really answering your question properly like it depends really is, is the answer sometimes it's good sometimes it's bad sometimes it's both yeah, I think it depends is a, a general answer for pretty much anything as well these days. Yeah, so yeah, sorry, that's, it's it's not it's not the best answer, but I think it's actually it's more interesting that way too. At the same time, you know, like if you have an if you have the attitude of like this is my genius and blah blah blah, blah like you're gonna have a big problem because at the end of the day, twentieth, it's their baby and it's Marvel's baby, and you're just you're getting to play with the toys, and I love playing with toys is great, and um, but you can't break <laughs> them. Of course, and it was uh, Matt Hollingsworth who'd done the colors. Yeah, I knew that. Clem Robbins did the letter in. Okay, Clem Robbins. Okay. But yeah, that's something classic. I mean, Dave Gibbons writing, Mignola drawing. Oh, man. It's a very popular, very popular comic in the in uh, the well, Just because it's a brilliant comic, regardless of it being yeah. like a good aliens comic, it's just a brilliant comic. And I do, actually, I, one thing, I, I think maybe was I talking to you before about like how I loved how um, what Warren did with the aliens when they did a crossover with Stormwatch. Did you ever read, read that? Not me. Okay, I must have done another, another interview. Sorry, I'm, I'm uh, <clears throat> mixing them up, but I remember I liked Storm, Stormwatch, the Wildstorm books. Did you ever read Aliens vs. Stormwatch? I didn't personally. It seems like the sort of thing you'd read, though, Adam. Do you ever read the Wildstorm? I hadn't even heard of, of that crossover. Oh, I... man, it's class. Cause, like, Aliens vs. Stormwatch, huh? Yeah, yeah, they were basically Warren Ellis and Brian Hitch were doing Stormwatch and they ended, they cancelled the book to do The Authority, which is an amazing book. But there was a crossover and they used the crossover to end the series. So you have all these characters that they've been writing for years. They bring in Xenomorph. Sorry, it was Wildcat. Sorry, it was Wildcat. Where was it? Yeah, it was Wildcat. Sorry, sorry, sorry. It's been years now since I wrote it. But they used, they used the Xenomorphs to end the book. Like they kill everybody, you know, which I thought was just such an amazing, an amazing way to take like one property and another property, which generally a crossover is just going to be whatever, you know, a bit of fun. But like they actually had a, they did something story wise with it where they ended one franchise because the Xenomorphs are so fucking like just fucking murder machines. I just remember thinking like, wow, like way to take something very corporate, but do something, yeah, you know, impactful, and, uh, creative. Yeah. I was just going to say, yeah, some of the crossover comics are, are quite wild and, and interesting. The Superman versus Aliens, I love that as well. Yeah. I think it was Dan uh-huh. Jurgens and Kevin Nolan, and Gil Kane, I think. And I just picked up, I had never even heard of this one before, but Predator versus Magnus yeah. Robot I Fighter did. or something. I, I know that. So I'm like, what is what is this? I don't think, I've never even heard of this character. So it'll be interesting moving forward with Marvel, you know, having the license now because they're already starting with Wolverine and we'll see what they do next. I think it's smart that they didn't really do anything yet, you uh-huh. know, until now. Yeah. Like, um, 
They had to give it time to breathe on its own. Exactly. And it would be very easy to just to just jump right into the most obvious thing, you know. Like everyone I've talked to Ed and like Alien vs. Predator. Uh, Andrea's asked about it, but like I've no idea what Marvel are planning or what they aren't planning. But um, if they do something like that, it's got to be earned. You know, you can't just yeah. start the franchise, start it, and just kick it off. I know. I think Marvel got have plans with Alien stuff now that I think they've established what their book is, which I think is is smart. I think it would have it would have felt cheap if they just straight away did like Avengers versus yeah. Aliens or whatever. Like you know, they had all those covers teasing it though, so they gave us an idea maybe down the line. They got it easy, don't they? But yeah, we're we're hoping for AVP as well. I know it was in their initial press release when they got the license. And oh, is it? Yeah, next uh-huh. next year is the 20th anniversary of the original film, so we're hoping it'd be a good time to start it. I'd kill to do it. Like, I'm not a massive Predator fan, but I but I, I read I saw that when I was younger for sure, and um, I love the uh, Batman. The old who did it, it was um, Adam Coop, Andy Cooper drew it. I think it was Dave Gibbons wrote that as well. Actually, Batman versus Predator was one of my favorite comics. Oh, it's brilliant! That first one in particular is especially good. Yeah, it's yeah, it's class. But um, yeah, I mean, anybody like I'd love to do Predator, but like it's it's a mate of mine, like, and I'm fucking happy for him to do like class stories. But um, that's one thing I, I did think when I got a, the Alien gig was like, man, every writer friend I know probably hates me right now because I just know everybody <laughs> wants to, everybody wants to do that book, you know. Well, we're we're happy you're aboard now. Oh, okay, <laughs> thanks. But you know, speaking speaking of that, you know. Like we said, Marvel's had the series for two years or so with three series from another writer. You've come on board with the fourth arc titled Thor. I always sound like I'm saying Thor when I say Thor. <laughs> it's just your accent. Yeah, maybe that's that Nottinghamshire farmer accent. The English people are the worst at speaking their own language. <laughs> well, 44, you know, Irish, we overpronounce certain consonants, but the British don't pronounce their own consonants half the time. No, no, no. I mean, isn't it a thing that the Americans speak closer Queen's English than than we do or something like yeah, that? Yeah, probably. Like, uh, like we got like some bad were, accents here, too. <laughs> yeah, what, what, whatever, you know, like you wouldn't think it's spelt the way it said. Yeah. Do you know what it is? It's your language, so you can do whatever the hell you want with it. Like. <laughs> we gave it the world, it's ours. We can yeah, butcher exactly. it all we want. <laughs> You're on board with the fourth arc, and you're coming back for a fifth. So um, here's the big question. How how did you get involved? Am I not the fifth? I think it's four before me, isn't it? No, so it's Bloodlines, Bloodlines. Revival, Icarus, and now it's Thor. Okay, all right. I thought there was some between Icarus. Oh, you're right, actually. Yeah, sorry. Okay, I, for some reason I thought there was a second arc to that, but no, I was wrong. There was an annual. That might be where I'm getting confused. And there was a one-shot that Benjamin Percy did. Okay, right. Yeah, no, um, it's probably because I was in the weeds. I think during the third arc was when I got started, so I just kind of got my head down. So, so sorry, your question was how did I get... Yeah, how, how, did, how did you get involved with Alien then? You know, how, how are you the one? It's a good question. Uh, I'm not really the one to ask because um, I just got an email asking did I want a writing gig, basically. It was uh, Sarah Brunstad is the editor of The 20th Line. And um, yeah, she said, like, would I have any interest in, in writing Alien? And I was honestly, I was like, what? why me? I could think of so many people who would do a good job. But we'd worked together on... Um, she was the assistant editor on um, Immortal Hulk. If you've ever read that, it's a brilliant book. But I did, I wrote and drew a one-shot annual, not an annual, but it was like a one-shot 30-page Hulk story. And she was assistant editor on that. So we, we, we worked together on that. It was like a year previous, but um, and I really enjoyed it and it went really well. And it is, it was kind of a horror story. So um, I guess she felt from working together on that, she felt I'd like have a good handle on, you know, writing a horror book. And yeah, and she was, I mean, you know, we just kind of talked over rough thoughts originally and we were just really on the same page. She, I think she appreciated wanting to have a good visual sense for a lot of it. And what was kind of lacking or unexplored in, in the universe. And uh, she's, I mean, she's a massive alien's head. So I was just hoping she wouldn't think I'm a fraud, you know. But I think it's the one thing 
I, you know, you got to love it about good editors is that they can see something in somebody and give you an opportunity to kind of like step up and try something. Because I've only, for Marvel, I've, you know, like I wrote and drew that Hulk story and I've done bits and bobs here and there, but to take on like a, a franchise isn't something I've been offered before. So it was, it's really exciting and really terrifying, especially, like I said, because so many of my friends, like, because like I've worked on stuff on superheroes that people love, and that's fine. Like I, I kind of understand that, but there is like such a passion for for Alien that is like more intense than any superhero stuff. So I was I was probably more scared about it. But no, I, I have to credit Sarah for kind of taking the chance on me, and not only that, but like being really accommodating and encouraging for like things I wanted to do or goals I had for the book for what it should feel like, what it should look like, and even the upcoming annual is. I don't want to give it away, but there's something really weird. There's something different about the annual that was actually her idea. You know, it wasn't even something where I'm like, can I try this? She was like, you could do this. So she's not somebody who's um, holding me back from ideas. She's actually encouraging ideas. So I, I um, a different type of editor would make it a very difficult experience, but she's, uh, no, she's just been brilliant. On the topic of ideas, something we're personally always curious to hear about is how the story changed, I mean, if at all, from your initial concepts to the finished pages. Did you find the direction had to be changed at all while you were working on Thaw? Thaw, a little bit. So I had an original pitch for Thaw, but I knew I'd have another arc afterwards. And I felt, as I was kind of working on the characters, that there was more to mine. So... I started thinking about the next arc. Sometimes you don't know if you have one arc or two or whatever, so you have to wrap it up in five. And knowing I had a little bit more room or a little bit more, um, you know, of a runway in future, I, and again, this is, I have to thank Sarah for this because I kind of switched it, what, halfway through? Not totally, but I just added another element, which was regarding the, the submorph, the winter um, xenomorphs, basically. I had an idea with that and... It's complicated the story, and thankfully, Sarah and 20th worked with me to kind of work out what I was going to do in the future, and then kind of retroactively come back and make sure it worked within thought. Because you, you send an outline, basically, whenever you pitch a book, you're like, here's the rough here's the rough story. But ultimately, it, it did veer off a little bit, but it, was, it wasn't 20th stopping me. It was my own, you know, having another idea and seeing if we'd make it work. And thankfully, we were able to make it work. And I think it, it's adding a little bit more mythology to my overall run, which is cool. And, and it's the benefit of working in one universe on more stories. You can do a miniseries, but the series we're doing now, Descendant, like is definitely linked to Thaw. And that's because the editor and 20th worked with me. So um, there was a good few changes here and there. Sometimes there's a change because like, I think there was one thing recently where 20th said no after they'd said yes. There's a little bit of that. Like you said, you can't break the toys, 20th own it. So um, there's a, it, it can be a little bit difficult sometimes. But again, like I said, you can get some creative decisions. But yeah, the biggest change was my was because of me. And I caused myself a massive, massive headache. But I am I'm glad I did because I think it's I think overall it's going to be much cooler. Is that the, the name of the um, arc after the, the annual Descendant? Descendant, yeah. With a, Yeah, I think I can say this much is um, there's a ship called the Descendant and it lands on it lands in a place. I just don't know how much way to... Well, you've read Thor. Can I give it away? Is it, is it set on the same planet? Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah okay. Is. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, years later, uh, this ship, the Descendant, goes to this planet. And if you've read the annual which you will have read before Descendant, you'd realize there's kind of more to it. There's more to what was on the planet than we necessarily knew. And if you go back and read Thaw, I think you'll realize that too. So that's what I was talking about, was I wanted to seed some stuff for Descendant, but I meant making sure I planted things in yeah. Thaw. And yeah, I'm just really, I'm, it's all coming together now, which is very satisfying. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, nice. yeah, always is. Yeah, yeah. We'll be looking forward to that. While we're on the topic of um, things that have changed, you mentioned an earlier pitch that was poo-pooed because something had similar had been done. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us what that initial pitch was? Yeah, I think so, because can't use it. It was going back to Hadley's Hope years later in search for... Yeah, my rough idea was somebody goes to try find the queen in orbit. My thinking was that she's oh. flying around because she's not going to run out of oxygen, you know. And so they go back there, and while they're there, they go down to the planet, and then there's a whole bunch of like irradiated xenomorphs. But um, yeah, apparently that was done. Like um, irradiated xenomorphs has been done before. So isn't that aliens one shot? Yeah, it's it's what Percy did under Marvel. The queen in orbit thing—that's an interesting idea, though. <laughs> yeah, that that hasn't been done. I think it's okay to say because it was shot down, but I just thought like, because in the first film, the alien was destroyed in the, you know, the thruster fire, but like in the second one, she's just floating through space. So, you know, there's nothing to say she's, if it was a human, they'd be dead, but, uh, you know, an alien queen. And that was really my way to kind of get an alien queen in there. There's one in the annual. So, I mean, you know, there's not just one queen, admittedly, but um, I like you were saying about like working within the universe. Like it's nice to try and interconnect things where you can, you know, like even there's a mess, there's a reference to um, Project Alpha in issue one of Thaw. Because that was it. When Sarah offered me the book. She said, look, you can follow on directly from stuff that Philip had done or you can do your own thing. It's up to you, which is what I liked. I liked that they're not going like, look, this is the Marvel Comics version and you can only do X, Y and Z. It was actually a fairly open brief, which I quite liked. And I thought it would be interesting to follow on from some stuff from Philip. But um, I just figured if this is my one shot to do something, I'd prefer just kind of move over somewhere else in the world and do my own story. But again, it's, it is Marvel's alien universe. So I just I wanted to have that small little bit of interconnectivity. There's something in Descendant as well that connects to bloodlines, but just in a small way, just to kind of show that like this is all the same world, but it's not directly affected by it, if that makes sense. Still having those connective tissues without being overwhelmed by it. Yeah, like, you know, in a lot of the, a lot of the Star Wars stuff, you see that, which, you know, is cool when it's done. I feel like when it's a small thing, it's great. When it's a big thing, it's not so great. You know, is it cool that Anakin is in the background? Sure, but when he's there talking and he's got a CG face and everything, is it the, the novelty wears off fast? Somebody's so, um, watching a new series, huh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've mean, watched it. You know, I'm not even that much of a Star Wars guy, but it it is interesting. And so I think it's good to kind of jump within the threads rather than necessarily just jump right on one. You know, like if I get to do more alien stories, like I actually might be interesting to go back and look at one of Philip's arcs and kind of take something out of there. You know, I liked the idea of this, the kind of synth strike force. I might do more synth stuff would be interesting. But then again, there's some stuff in my pitch and 20 to shoot it down. So it's always a risk between, you know, do I want to push interconnectivity or is that only going to end up being like a, a trip that I fall over? So that was actually another benefit, I think, of doing Thaw in just another part of the universe, because at least the only problems are real my story problems rather than having to worry about other people's stories. But I also think that's cool. Like if I get to do more aliens, like I'm, I'm glad this arc is connected to Descendant will be connected to Thaw. I like that as a reader. You know, I like feeling that there will be a kind of a through line. But also it's cool that I could just go somewhere else and do something completely different. So that's the benefit of the world is that you, you can take the stuff that's there or you can just do something totally different. No, agreed. Agreed. One of the interesting elements of the alien is the DNA reflex and the flexibility it gives storytellers such as yourself to do something different with a creature. Alien Thought introduced a new variation of the alien that Andrea Brocadero? Ricardo, I think. Ricardo, okay. Has called a winter morph. I do think that's a cool name, by the way. In some of the sketches he's shared online. Actually, it's a submorph. Oh, submorph. 
Okay. And Wintermorph was a first name I gave it in the script, but it should have been changed to Submorph because um, it didn't make sense for me. I was like, I think it sounds cool, but they're like, it's not winter on the planet. It's hey, it's always like that. Yeah, <laughs> it is enough. a cool name, though. It is green, but I thought submorph worked because it's underground and sub, you know, sub zero yeah. temperatures. I felt like it kind of worked those two ways. But I was humming and hawing between the both of them. Okay, could you tell us a bit more about their development and perhaps tease a little about what you'll be doing with this variant alien in the future? original pitch i can't actually remember now at this stage sorry but um you're trying to do something new with the franchise but there's are there are some guardrails with 20th because you know it's their job to protect it and i think i was told that they were encouraging of hybrid type creatures and yeah i wasn't going to do anything like that originally because i thought it wouldn't be okay i figured that they'd be very protective of that stuff when it turned out they weren't i was like well actually it kind of opens up some more doors and also like my problem with the xenomorph is that the more you use it the less scary it gets you know which is why it's so like you barely see a xenomorph in the first issue was because i felt like it needed to build up to that kind of reveal you know and i felt it would be good to to add a third element like there's the humans and there's the xenomorphs i just thought a third element would add more of some complexity there and give them something to fight that isn't humans who they can easily kill and yeah so i talked i talked to marvel about it a bit and they were up for it and andrea was chomping at the bit to do an original design you know because he's like you said he's read every every single bloody thing i wanted to give he was such an alien fan i wanted to give him something that was his as part of the franchise rather than just drawing other stuff in it so um yeah it kind of solved three different problems for me but then the issue was like what are they and i think that is what caused me all the problems afterwards was i had to i couldn't just come up with the hybrid me in 20th week you can't tell from reading it but like i had to justify every single development stage of how these things worked part of me is kind of like look guys they're monsters of acid blood do we really need to like work out all the development and the minutiae but they were like really hardcore about it it's like how does this work how does that work you don't have to explain it all but we need to know exactly how it works that was the big thing that threw me like i have to try and work that out but i wanted a um a third element to surprise the reader which is why like i, I was trying to like not mention it at all until the issue came out because um you know it's, it's hard to it's hard to surprise the reader especially when they've read so many alien alien stories you know it's funny you saying that because i think it wasn't mentioned in any of the solicitations and it was just something we were sort of commenting on it's like okay the face hugger looks a bit different here okay is this going yeah. to be something Good. I wasn't sure because yeah, because he's cut because it's white. Yeah, I wanted the reader to not like you know again. You want to seed stuff, but you don't want to give it away. So my thinking was, well, they might just think because it's frozen, it's mm. white. But like, let's make sure it's very white, just so there's something up. That's I don't. Know, that's the fun of of writing stuff. Sometimes is like your job is to basically manipulate the <laughs> <a> reader. <laughs> into thinking things and then then you realize the thing that you thought it was is something else which was challenging to try and make sure you were seeding it all without giving it away Uh it wasn't it wasn't part of the original pitch i think i had written i had written issue one before that had that came up so i had to kind of go back and make sure it all it all worked and i think i'm being honest i think the art had been done for issue one so we couldn't really do anything well not we couldn't i didn't want andrea to go back and to do more work just because i had a different idea so my solution was make the face hugger white because one i don't want you to rechange anything two 
I think it'll be fun to just kind of like not give that away so much, you know? So it's, again, these are all kind of like, you know, I wish I could say I'm a master planner and have everything worked out in this giant <laughs> uh, dartboard. But what I do is basically I'll know where everything will end and I know how we'll roughly get there. But for me, a lot of the fun is just writing the scripts and writing yourself into a corner and then trying to kind of get your way out of the corner. But again, I'm really glad that Sarah was so accommodating to like, she could have just said the outlines, the outlines. So just write what she said. And she'd be totally within her right to do it, but she was like, "No, that's a really cool idea. Let's 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 try it." I suppose perhaps you know these being more limited runs probably gives a bit more freedom in terms of from you know an editor perspective because you've not got an ongoing that's a thousand issues in with a thousand issues more coming out coming to you know take into consideration. So in in some ways, working on stuff like Alien might be a little bit more liberating. I think so. Like if you're doing a superhero thing, then you know, there's you've got to know exactly where it's going and what's gonna it's gonna affect the universe and like Sarah, Sarah does all the twentieth stuff, but they're all very different books. There's like Planet of the Apes and Predator and whatnot. So I do think it's good. I mean, I personally like having your little silos of stories. Like an A V P thing would be cool, but I'm glad that like I don't need to worry about what Ed's doing in Predator that's gonna affect, you know, my book. It's actually very liberating because I yeah, I don't need to worry about who Spider Man's dating or <laughs> or anything like that. I think there's a benefit there's there's good and bad about having short arcs. I think like I do think it would be cool to have an alien book that just goes on. I'm interested in this um what's his name who did Fargo who's doing the new series? Oh um Noah oh, Hawley. Hawley. Yeah. No Hawley, how did I forget that? Like I'm very interested in what he's going to do with the TV show. Because mm. it's you know, it's not a done in one story. It's going to have I'm way more interested in that because it's going to like the construction of it is going to be different than a film. Mm-hmm. And I think you could do that in comics. If the sales were there and everything was fine, I think it would be cool to do an alien book that is like, you know, where the characters they could die, they could not die, but there would be real repercussions, you know. Whereas you can kind of do that a bit easier with the, the shorter stories. Yeah. I do think it would be cool to have something like that. But I think at the same time, the miniseries means you can just kind of have a new take every year. Yeah. And I think that does keep things a little fresh too, you know. I mean, the closest we ever came to a, a real ongoing arc was in Defiance. You know, that, that was the Brian Wood and uh, Tristan Jones. Oh, the Strikes, yeah, for Dark Horse, yeah. I guess you could say Life and Death and Fire and Stone as well, because that was a pretty big crossover event. But I, I always felt like Defiance felt like a TV show. Yeah. yeah Especially okay. as it got towards the later issues, because then you did have the varying artists. So it felt like different directors, different cinematographers mm-hmm. working on it. And it was an interesting it was an interesting style and feel to it. But then it completely petered out, unfortunately. There is that risk too, like, you know. I remember when we were doing Descendant, we could have like maybe brought on a different artist, but like I'm glad like Sarah wanted to keep Andrea on and it was like I said, there's connections to the to Thor, so I'm really glad that we're we'll have that consistency. I know I said I'm popping in to do the art on some of us, but at least I feel like at least it's more contained creatively that it's me. It's just me and Andrea, even if I'm doing some art. That's still I feel at least it's still just the two of us, and there's something kind of cohesive about that. Actually, uh, I'm working. He's he's done a cover for one of the issues. I'm, I'm coloring it tonight. Yeah, we could give it to a colorist, but I'm like, actually, it'd be kind of cool to to just jam with Andrea's work by coloring it, you know? And again, Sarah was like cool with it. So it, it's nice. Um, a lot of the stuff where on other books, you think that um, you'd be cut off and limited. There's just been a really nice creative back and forth with everybody on this. Yeah, that sounds unusual, not the norm. Are you having a better creative experience with that kind of stuff? Yeah, I mean, I can't complain too much. I haven't really been on a lot of stuff where it's like, absolutely not. I think maybe in the olden days, editorial would have been a lot more, um, um, have more guardrails with that kind of stuff. I mean, if I was 
I don't know. I think Sarah trusts me enough to know that I'm not going to, like if I've never colored something before, like me writing, drawing and coloring the backup story or not backup story. It's a flashback. I've already done that with her with Hulk. So she knows I can do it. You know, I think there'll definitely be more trepidatious if you're completely unproven. But I think Sarah knows I'll I'll deliver on what I'll say I'll do. So I've, I've earned a little bit of trust there or maybe so, somebody else wouldn't have. I think editors are definitely going to be a little bit more nervous with newer talents because it's unproven. Yeah. Yeah. You're unproven and you ha- you don't have the experience enough. They'll follow through. Like, you know, that that's huge in, in, in comics. Yeah. OK, that's fair. So w- w- one of the things you mentioned as a writer, you know, in, in manipulating your audience led, led nicely into this one. You know, d- during the earlier parts of the comic, you know, the first issue in particular, I went back and I was reading through my, um, you know, my comments as I was reading along. And because of the focus on family, on the human characters, you know, this real strong focus on family there, I f- I'm completely off base in the end. But, you know, I, I felt that there was going to be focus on the aliens retrieving the face hugger that was those guys had found. Couldn't have been more wrong. But, you know, that that was just the way the story was making me think it was going to go as it went along. I'm curious to know, do you think there's any sort of like space for that kind of narrative with the aliens? Do you mean from the vampire's point of view? That bit in, you know, have you ever been in The Simpsons where Otto is looking through all these books? He's like, oh, awesome. Do you have anything from the vampire's point of view? Perhaps not like that, but more like, you know, the, the face hugger was the alien's family in that regards. You had all the panels of, you know, all the aliens under the water and starting to move and it looked like they were going specifically for that. And in my head, I was like, they've took its progeny. I mean, disagree, but I would I would feel that they wouldn't really be so territorial about that, about a facehugger. If it was a queen or something to protect the, the herd, I could see that. But like facehuggers seem to be fairly, um, what's the word I'm looking for, um, disposable, you know, because they so many are made. Also, if you read the story, there's more than just one facehugger. Like, it just it happens to be one they find, but, you know, there's more in the I ice. Just, I didn't know that at the time. Oh, sure, no, of course, but, like, you're not supposed to know, like, <laughs> you know. But no, I mean, um, with something like the... Fa- I, I think you have to be careful with something like, say, the xenomorphs, that the more you're in their heads, the less interesting they are, you know. To me, they're scarier as this kind of unknown element where you don't really know where they came from or how they are what they're going to do and um i don't think there wouldn't be room to do that but i think they're not really thoughtful creatures they work on instinct more than anything else now there's an argument that they would instinctively want to protect uh, a facehugger or something but i just i just think facehuggers are a means to an end more than say the queen is or or other drones i will say the annual I, I, I may as well plug the annual for God's sake. It's out in November, but like um, the annual is very different. It's more like a National Geographic documentary. There's no humans; it's just monsters. So it's like it's like watching monsters in the wild, and I think that should kind of will show us how animalistic they are. I did want to do something that was more, well, kind of just like a monster mash, but at the same time, because that's just cool. I mean, you don't really get to see it. Yeah, it's not something that you see very often, and I suppose for. for- you know, for good reason to not overexpose them and stuff like that. But it's one of those ones where, because it's so infrequent when we do see it, it's kind of like a little bit of an event. Yeah, true. Like, I mean, you, you don't really see it happen. I guess actually Alien versus Predator is a little bit like that. But since I have this foil for the aliens, with the submorphs, I really wanted to just like go to town on it. Also do a story that doesn't have any humans in it. As we were saying about family earlier, the, the important thing for me is making characters that you care about is the most important thing. Xenomorphs, of course, the matter. It's fucking. Called, it's called aliens. Of course, it matters. But like, unless you care about the characters, you don't. Why would you care if they die? If like, if you're rooting for the alien, you've kind of done a bad job. I don't know. I think it depends. I think there might be a story where 
where we could do that. There, but. Okay, there, there might be a story, but like without naming, you know, specific projects, there's examples of projects where don't care about the characters. I do not care if the aliens even kill them. You know, it's just like yeah. this character is an idiot. I don't care. And it just becomes a futile exercise. You know, you need to care about the characters. And I talked to Sarah about um, how aliens kind of set up a family at the end of the film with, you know, Hicks and Ripley and Newt. And then that just basically got undercut for the third film. And it would be interesting to see that dynamic, even if it's not those characters, but see that dynamic in the franchise. feels like there was something kind of they could have done. So that's why it leans so heavily. I just wanted characters you would care about that the aliens, you know, you don't want the alien aliens to kill them but you know if it happens then you're going to be upset about it but also that not necessarily be what kills them so I, it, again it's an exercise of like it's so often my problem with a lot of films tv or comics is that i just don't care uh-huh. i have no reason to care so um like I, like I said i'm not saying rooting for the alien like if you really hate a character of course you want the alien to kill <laughs> it like uh wendell for example that's yeah. in that's in Thor. like you want you want him to be killed and i tried to kill him in the most horrible way i could i love that you know Jump out a window, injure yourself on the way down, <laughs> and you're yeah. fucked. Yeah. It was it was very well deserved. So like not being able to move and like you know what's going to happen. He knows what's going to happen and just uh, yeah, with him lying in the ice and the, the face hugger fingers come over. I just I just remember I thought of him like that's fucked. You know, that's cool. You um, want that for that guy. Yeah. You know, because he's such a piece of shit. How fun was Wendell to write, by the way? Oh, oh, great fun. So, I mean, like, I know he's he's effectively this Paul Reiser-esque character because it's a tough thing, again, you know, when you're writing, you're writing something that's part of an established franchise, you want to kind of give the reader enough of what they know without just recycling the same thing again, you know? Like, I was worried about having Marines in there because I'm like, that's been done. But I felt like the Marines aren't the focus of the story. They're just another threat level. You don't want to just remake the same. Like, it's easy to forget about it now, but like Aliens is a very different film to Aliens. Uh-huh. Very different. Like, when you look at it, it took the, the concept and pushed it places. And the problem is pushing it, either pushing it too far or just recycling it back. So finding the balance between those two was, that was my main worry, was like giving the reader enough of enough of a rope to hold on to. It's like, I know what this is and I like this without like it just leading to exactly the same place. So my worry was Wendell was just going to be Paul Reiser, but I, but I don't think he is. Like he's, he's much more of a, like... He's not smarmy, he's charming. No, he's not charming. He's definitely smarmy, but he's very, oh, he's also very upfront. Whereas like Paul Reiser's character was manipulative. Wendell isn't. He's very, he's very clearly is what he is. And he's actually not, he's cocky and he's, he's at least he is exactly who he is and there's no there's no pretenses about it but he's also a piece of piece of shit like <laughs> i will say you telling me that the double-sized annual coming up is like more of a monster mash though we don't see that very often and so that makes me even more excited about it i would even say also it's uh it's, it's silent Ooh. the only lettering in it is like monster sounds so there's not like narrative going on while the monsters are fighting because dark horse did that a few times yeah. too so yeah yeah that sounds awesome. Yeah, well, I was actually, I should say, it was Sarah's idea to do a silent a silent issue. And my, my thinking was, it's like, it's not a David Attenborough documentary where, you know, it talks over. You know, there are some of those documentaries where it just uh-huh. shows the animals. And I just thought it would just kind of be cool to just let it. And it had to, I mean, Danny Earls is uh, the guy who drew the, the annual. And it's, as I said to him, I'm like, he's like, oh, this is so good. Like, he loves Alien. He was allowed to work on it. I'm like, the downside is this kind of rests on you. Like yeah. I've written it in a way where it, sh- it should work visually. You know, I'm an artist, so I feel I have a good sense of that, whether or not there is dialogue or or, or or narration. But like, I love silent comics. I think they're fantastic. And if we've got a really good artist, it's a, just a different experience, you know? 
narration sometimes can just feel like a crutch leading you on. Yeah. Whereas like Danny, Danny like really brought his A game. It's nuts. There's some weird, crazy monster stuff in this, which again is something I hadn't seen. I'm barely it's been done before <laughs> to a degree, but it was just a nice space to do something a little different between the two arcs, which are more which are more of a larger narrative going on. This has a specific narrative that kind of sets up the next arc, but also ties back to the to the first one. I'm looking forward to that one, actually, quite a lot. Uh, me too. I'm, I'm looking forward to what people... I, I think people might love it and hate it. I'm not really sure, but I, I think it was a fun <laughs> experiment. You know? We'll find out soon. So you, you mentioned um, your background as an artist, you know, informing a little bit about what you were doing. How much did that play into Thor when you had things like that fucking awesome panel of the, the POV sort of of the face or you're looking at through the chest cavity and stuff like that? How much oh, of yeah. that was you going, this will be fucking awesome for Andrea? Well, it wasn't. It was like, oh, man, I'd love to draw this. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of, especially the beginning, because, yeah, I, like I would say what my one of my strengths is that I've, I think I have fairly good visual sensibilities. And um, the cool thing about writing for somebody is that you come up with cool stuff, you think, in your head, and you give it to somebody, and they make it even better. That's really, really cool. It's cool from a writer's point of view. It sucks from an artist's point of view, because you're like, oh, crap. <laughs> they did it way better than I would have done it. But um, when, I, when I was starting to write it, I was thinking like, man, I wish I was drawing this, which I think is a good sign that I was enjoying the writing. You know what I mean? I wouldn't, if I didn't like what I was writing, I wouldn't have been like, I don't want to draw this. But then when I saw Andrea's pages come in and again, like there's so much world building in the art that I don't have to write. I can write that they're on a ship. That's fine. He draws the ship with the same, like I was saying earlier on, he understands how all the environments, how ships, what they look like, what the screens look like. There was one, remember Trina colored it? Where he had written in, it's kind of he'd drawn in these like block, you know, letters like like in the film. But Trina was such a fan of the film, she knew to invert it so that the white screen was black and the black lettering was bright green. You know, like those old computer models. I'm like that stuff does so much work to put the reader in the world than like whatever the hell I write into descriptions. So when he started, when the pages started coming in, I'm like, oh wait, yeah, he's so good at this this stuff naturally that's something i would really really have to work at i'd have to work so hard to get all that stuff right but he's just you know it's like he's already in that world like he adds in little um little easter eggs from the isolation game stuff like that like uh. he does so much world building in the art and i do try and keep in mind like i want to make sure he's got something cool to draw you know something that isn't just consoles and corridors you know and um, so yeah that moment that moment of uh yeah the chestburster coming through the chest i just I stuff and just pop into my head i'm like that would be cool and i'm not saying i'm original i'm sure lots of people do that but i do think it is one of my strengths of like one for the artist to draw and also because he wants to draw a lot of this stuff. He wants to draw facehuggers. And, but I also, you can't litter the thing. Like I said, less is more with a lot of this stuff. So it's knowing to give him enough stuff to keep him in challenge and entertained. But also the reader too. Like, I mean, hopefully he likes drawing that panel, but I'm hoping the reader was like, oh man, that's fucked up. Yeah, um, yeah. Because that's what you want. I think that was a reaction to uh, a lot of Thor was, oh man, this is fucked up. Oh, cool. in, in, a, in a good in a good way i think when no no that's that's my favorite things or when i'm again it's hard when you're writing it to step back and objectively look at it and go yeah. is this good is it like you can't really know i i think it's good but also i'm not the best judge of this stuff you know all i can do is try and make the thing that i really wanted to make mm. so when i was first asked if i wanted to do alien like is it exactly what i had in mind no because i couldn't have imagined andrea as the artist is it better than what I had imagined? Because of Andrea, definitely. 
and did it tick the boxes of all the things I wanted to do on on the book? Yes. So like creatively, it's been very, very satisfying. I mean, like, I wouldn't be drawing those pages in this new arc if I thought that this book wasn't going the way I wanted it to, yeah. to go. Arguably, I'm putting more of my own stamp on it than I deserve because, again, Andrea has done all this amazing stuff. I'm so glad like it went the way that it did because you never know it could have been an artist who was terrible that I didn't like. <laughs> and I'd have to go like, yeah, he's great. I really like his stuff. Although I can... I can genuinely say like how, how much of a surprise and um, well, not a surprise because he did an image book, a kind of a sci-fi image book. When he was on the book, I looked up his stuff. He had done an image book that was very, I looked at his stuff and I could tell he was basically already drawing an alien book, Yeah, you know, because that's what he really wanted to do. So when I knew he was doing the book, it was like nobody else could have done what he did oh. because he had such a passion for it. Sorry, I'm rambling now. No, 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 uh, you are more than welcome to. So you, you mentioned a worry about military characters in this. Now, I know it's mostly an aesthetic element, but I was fucking grinning when Wendell's crew showed up in the Alien 3 ape suits. I think it's an impractical as fuck design in the film, <laughs> but it is some of my favourite costuming in the entire series. Mm-hmm. So I, w- I was fucking, yeah, I was beaming. Was that something you'd written in? Or was that Andrea going, you know what, these are be cool? Andrea. I think I just said that they were in some winter gear for whatever is appropriate. But then he sent the reference. I'd, I'd completely forgotten about it. I'm like, that looks class, but like, I know that's going to be hard to draw because I can see it and I wouldn't want to draw it. No. <laughs> Again, like there's, there's things I would have done to make my life easier on that book if I was drawing it and he doesn't do any of it. He just puts it all in there. No, he, he showed, he has, he had the model. The neck of figures. Told the the yeah. figures. Yeah. So, so he had all the references. Like, would you mind? I'm like, I think it would be class, but you'd have to run it up the, ask the editor. And yeah, they were fine with it. So I think they look so cool. It's savage, but like it is, it's a fairly detailed design, you know. But um, no, that man's insane, and he just uh, made his life harder. But it looks class. It was cool to see because in Alien Three, they're just kind of faceless mercenaries. But in the comic, like they take off their helmets, and we get to know them a little bit as characters. So yeah, that's something we really hadn't seen with that particular design before. Well, also it's tough because um, well, they do take like well, one, they take them off when they're inside because I think it would be very impractical for them to draw. That's through the whole thing. But also it's impractical for them to be standing around, you know, in those things. So you get to kind of, you know, you get the best of both worlds. Also, you know, it would be very hard to draw a book with those characters always in those suits, always talking, because one, you wouldn't know who they are. Two, you know, it's an artist thing, but knowing where to kind of place them and know who is who each time, like it would have been a mess. But like for that opening scene, especially, it's just so cool to see them. They're way more imposing. It's way more chilling and weird. No, it, it, it's great. But that's that's another thing, like I said, like Andrea fills in those like, I wouldn't say gaps because I don't need to know that. But like I said, it's just that additive tissue that yeah. like someone who really knows the franchise is going to go like, oh, cool. It's not all about it. It's not a plot point. It's not that important, but it's mm-hmm. just nice little, you know, informative thing through the through the story. I want to take credit for it, but it was it was totally Andrea. Well, it sort of deals with like the point you were saying earlier of, I didn't want it just to be Marines. You know, like I said, it's an entirely aesthetic thing, but it sets them entirely apart from a nerdy fan point of view. Like you're saying, you know, I'm sat there fucking giddy as fuck that this random ass design showed up and it's already set them apart from it being just another Marine. If someone doesn't know all the lore, like say me, and I was picking up the book, I wouldn't know that that's connected, but I would still think it like visually it's so cool. You know, yeah. ideally that's what I want. I want to be doing something that anybody can read but also like hardcore fans are going to enjoy it too. Like, you know, you can't do it for one or the other. I mean, you can, but I mean, you can do it for always just trying to get like new people and ignore the stuff that came before, which is going to piss off the people who've been supporting it for years. Uh But also you could only do it for those people and completely alienate anybody who might actually want to get on board. Like there's a, there's a sweet spot in the middle. And I I try, I try aim for that. 
I mean, maybe that's already answering our next question, which would be, what do you consider the most challenging part of, of writing for the Alien franchise, if not that? It probably is that. I think once I, once I figured out my approach to what an Alien story is, it actually was very freeing because I felt like as long as I apply those things, I'm okay. You know, like I had an idea for the second, for a second arc that ultimately changed into what it is now. But um, I'm really glad that I did that. But I like you can kind of go anywhere and do anything again, as long as I feel that those like rules are consistent. I don't want I wouldn't want to rehash this one all over again. I don't want to do something different. You'd want to go different places and do different things. But I, I think that's what it was for me is finding that through line of telling a story that the hardcore guys are going to like, while also telling a story that like I would read that I, without knowing all the ins and the outs. No, I guess, I guess, yeah, I guess I accidentally answered the question with the last one. That's, that's probably it. I think, I think that's it. So I'm, I'm over answering the, the answer. I think that is it is finding the sweet spot between the long term audience and a, a new audience without ruining the concept. And we haven't really had the opportunity on the podcast to speak to any of the writers since the uh, Disney merger. I was curious as to your experience working with 20th Century Studios on the arc. Are they heavily involved with Marvel? I mean, from what you've said, it sounds like it's been fine working with. I guess mainly through the editor and they work with them or yeah well basically like i would say it's been i haven't really worked with a licensor like this before so i would say that it is like um it can be a little bit difficult is the word i'm looking for um yeah it can be a little bit difficult in just that like hurdles will pop up where you're not expecting them or if you think hurdles will pop up in one place they don't they hop up somewhere else where, where you weren't but generally like i work with the editor sarah brunstadt and she will go to 20th and get their notes and then she'll add her notes and so it's a fairly streamlined process where instead of like say i get notes from my editor and then i do those notes and then she sends it to 20th and then they have other notes that could be conflicting she does a really good job of making sure everything does not it all makes sense and then i'm doing another another draft yeah it can be a little bit challenging sometimes because stuff will pop up that i'm not expecting but again i try take those as opportunities to work with restrictions rather than work against them but i would say they're, they're heavily involved like like i said the creation of the submorphs they got very involved in that that was a lot of back and forth and they're very protective of certain elements but they're also very open in other elements too so it, it can be a little confining in some places but then surprisingly very open in others so i try to just kind of work work with that but again i think sarah makes it all a lot more manageable if it was a different editor, it might be a total mess. So I, re I really appreciate that because I, I don't really want the headache. <laughs> I don't mind challenges, but I don't like headaches. And I think that's what happens on this book is that I get some challenges, but not a lot of headaches. It is interesting that they rebranded the comics with like 20th Century Studios logo because it was just like straight Marvel yeah. before. I wonder if it was like they were worried it might be too associated with superheroes or, or what. I mean, I don't know, to be honest, but that would make sense. I think it's kind of cool to be part of an imprint. Like when, I mean, I know what age you guys are, like when I was growing up, you know, there's things like Vertigo and, and even Wildstorm, stuff like that. Like companies had imprints where it's a publisher, but they have their own little kind of cool things. I know it's, it's very um, nostalgic, maybe, but I, I do I do like the idea. But uh, I guess, uh, I mean, it makes sense from a branding point of view. I think as long as um, my worries that the cover design, the trade dress would become too dominant on the covers because i do covers too so i'm very aware of some things too you know um years ago marvel were doing marvel now and they had like a red band at the bottom of every comic so all of a sudden you had to be very aware that if you're drawing a cover you need a little bit more space at the bottom but to put that branding in that was a bit of a pain in the arse yeah i i don't know what i don't know what their reason is for it but i think it's kind of cool like marvel do a lot of books so there's nothing wrong with them having a little I mean, look, you shouldn't because there's they're swearing in Alien, so I don't want a kid who's reading Spider-Man to read that book. Yeah. 
so I don't think there's anything wrong with separating it a bit and making it its own, its own line. I think it's probably pretty smart to do overall, but again, I have no idea why. I think that's wasn't that something we expected early on when you know the Marvel news dropped. Weren't we expecting like some sort of imprint like they used on Punisher or well, something like yeah, that? Yeah, because they had the Marvel Knights before because we were all worried that it was not going to be as adult as, as it was before. And the first issue was, you know, plenty of adult with its content. But yeah, I mean, I know they've, I don't think we were expecting that. They changed it for, I think their other 20th century properties like Planet of the Apes. They, they changed it as well. I think they started with Planet of the Apes because remember Thaw, Thaw, when, I was, when I was doing the variant cover for Todd, that wasn't an issue, the branding, but thankfully it fit okay. But um, I think they launched it with Planet of the Apes and then Alien fell, or Thaw sorry, that fell, fell within it. You did a variant for Thaw then. What issue was your variant? Issue one, it was oh, okay. it was just a, a fa- the facehugger in the ice. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, I did I did a variant for the annual before, which was a which was a xenomorph, and I did a cover for Hulk, which was a Hulk versus a xenomorph. Oh, cool. I draw them a couple of times. That was it was a lot of fun. Although, man, it's tough getting the reference again. I don't know how. Sorry, I do know how Andre has does it. He has all of the figures. <laughs> <laughs> but I was drawing something last night for a layout for one of my pages, and like it's a lot. It's a lot of work trying to find accurate reference. Some reference that doesn't contrast with other. Like the Queen was really tough for my cover because it's, it's all like people do different versions, and then people do incredible molds that look like they're from a film, and then it's not accurate to the. Oh, it's, all, it's the whole thing. That's why I'm glad I'm not drawing the actual book. <laughs> was going with that? Sorry. Oh yeah. So yeah, the temptation was for the, for the first cover to do like a cool xenomorph or something. But um, Deke Ruan was doing such a good job with that, and I just thought like just a cover with the face hugger would be really cool. It's the one where it looks like it's kind of trapped in ice, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's just straight on looking at it, and it's it's in the ice. I know. I, just, I think it's important if you're doing a variant cover that it doesn't look just like the main cover. And Deke Ruan was it was he was really selling that like xenomorph in the ice concept. Oh, that's such a cool piece as well. Yeah, stuff is so good, so good. So it's like, you know what? I'll do the facehugger because this is, it's an important story point. And the only person who actually knows that is me who has written it. <laughs> Nobody else knew that yet. So that is kind of the fun of being an artist working on a book that you're writing. You can kind of like what I'm doing at the moment. Like I'm just drawing stuff I'd like to. That's not really a spoiler, but there's like an alien egg that they find in the first issue in my flashback. And then I just really liked drawing the egg. It was fun. I like drawing all the vines and the goop and, you know. Here's a question then, because this came up recently when on one of the socials, and I can't really remember what it was, but it was like the relevance of cover art to what's actually inside. Mm-hmm. As a cover artist, how much information do you give your cover artists? That's not really my, it's not my bag. That's up to the editor. But like, say, Daniel Warren Johnson has done a cover for the Alien Annual. So the editor might have reached out to him and say, like, hey, would you like to draw an alien queen? And he probably went, yeah, that'd be cool. (laughs) And drew an alien queen. I knew the story. So my alien queen, the way I drew it is it it could have been a scene from the comic. I had that advantage knowing that, you know, Uh it hadn't even been solicited at that point. I I was working so far ahead. But like, I think it's more down to the the regular artist to do a story relevant cover. Thing with a variant artist, I think generally is what looks fucking cool you know like a variant cover needs to be something tension grabbing yeah it's the cover a the main cover should be a story related cover as much as possible who's drawn the um oh, what's his name oh i know it was a friend of mine why can't his name's escaping my head right now who's drawn the next arc oh this is embarrassing he's literally a friend of mine descendants covers yeah yeah javi fernandez Avi Fernandez, Fernandez, yeah. So it's such an Italian name, they all kind of clog up in my brain sometimes. 
like his covers are very story related story related whenever you see when you see them come out they do tell the story in a cool image variant covers i mean i just think they need to be cool to be honest they can be story related but i don't, I don't think they have to be personally i think if you're a fan you just want to see a cool shot <laughs> of a xenomorph by your favorite artist i guess sometimes it's good to get like a, a good mix because yeah we saw that in the earlier marvel arcs you would have variants that this is just a cool looking alien picture right but then like with the second art you'd see other depictions of the story that was going on with some of the variants so i i personally like a mix again you like yeah i think a mix is best again sometimes it can be that like you're working so far ahead stories can change so if your cover is very specific to a story that isn't necessarily written yet you just have because i do lots of varied covers and sometimes i'll be told what the story is from the solicit i'm like okay cool but in mind i match up by the time the book comes out or sometimes you're getting it from the script which is more accurate admittedly um, and sometimes it's just like hey do you know this character i'm like yeah they're like like say i did a ghost i think a ghost writer cover is coming out soon i have no idea i didn't know what issue was for i didn't know what the story was but i really wanted to draw a badass ghost writer so like I said, a mix is best. I don't think there's there's a rule one way or the other. But I do think for the sake of practicality, sometimes it's easier just to get a badass image. And you might you might have somebody scheduled for issue two and they're not getting it in in time. So maybe the one you had for issue three, move that up and give the artist who's late more time. Don't get me wrong, I'm not speaking for Sarah, but as somebody who's worked, you know, I've put together my own creator own books. I mean, that's definitely happens sometimes where the guy who you asked to get a book, get in on this date, doesn't have it, but you already have art for the next ones. So you're like, okay, well, I'm going to save my ass here and swap them in. It happens. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Now, that's actually everything from Adam and I, but before we let you escape, we did have some questions from community members, people mm-hmm. on our forums and socials and stuff. First, we have a couple of questions from Jacob O1122. He asks, with icy Arctic settings and aliens being frozen in ice, I got a strong Carpenter's The Thing vibe. How intentional was that? Uh, regardless, this setting felt fresh in the alien story and fits very well. Guilty as charged. It became that. I think I, I kind of um, pitched it to 20th as Alien Meets The Thing. And I pitched Descendant as Alien Meets The Abyss. Ooh, okay. You got me intrigued with that now. Too. There's definitely a, a James Cameron you know, Lincoln there. Yeah, well, it wasn't originally that in my head. It was, um, I had talked to Sarah and she had made a very good point about how, you know, it's interesting to see the xenomorph in a, for lack of a better phrase, alien environment, <laughs> as in something that it doesn't fit. Yeah. And she mentioned the Icarus arc. No, no, sorry, not the Icarus arc. Sorry, was the second one called? Revival? Revival, yeah. Yeah, Revival. Um, Like the, the Mark Aspinall covers where it's in the cornfield. Like that's a good example of like, what the hell is that doing there? Rather being like in a cave or something. So that was in my mind. And again, like I said, I'm kind of visually minded. So I was like, what would be what what would be a cool thing to see it in? And I just thought of the xenomorph in the snow and the thing came to mind. So like especially the first issue is very a thing. It kind of goes off in another way. But like I thought it was a good place to start from. Body horror. The, like the, the aesthetic matched the kind of like I could imagine a, a dark horse comic of the thing. Like uh. I don't know what it is, but I can kind of already see it in my head, you know. So that's that's where I was going from, especially wanting a very strong visual, you know, approach to the book. So yeah, so I, I guilty. I, it's it's not thematically linked or anything, and I didn't like try name characters or anything kind of as um, obvious as that. But um, I did. It definitely had that. Um, I was trying to project that aesthetic on, onto the book for sure. Yeah, glad you liked it. Yeah, no, it was it was a cool setting for it for sure. I actually just saw the thing in an art house cinema the other night. I'd never seen it in theaters before. I love oh, that cool. movie, but that's one of the few horror movies that can like actually freak me out a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that bit with the pushes through. Yeah. And the, ah, yeah, but awesome movie. 
Jacob O one one two two also asks this story focused more on survival of one family and their situation, which I love. However, there are continued themes of aliens and black goo being Promethean fire that attracts people to use it to upgrade themselves, leading to their demise. And boy, does this aspect get a dark turn in the story. Anyway, was that a conscious continuation of those ideas that Philip Kennedy Johnson introduced, or was it coincidence? Or maybe there are some guidelines from Marvel to tackle with it. It's coincidence in that, you know, there's there's a family aspect to it, but I again I kind of I'm not too interested in the origin stuff. I would say that kind of um it kind of kills it a little bit for me. A lot of the like I saw Prometheus in the cinema and you know, didn't love it, like it was it was interesting, but um the more you know about the creature, I think the less interesting it is. I mean, not that I'm changing anything, it's it's in the lore, but um it wasn't something I was too interested in getting into. Like I said, less is more for me. It was more I would say I was trying to tie it more. Well, what, like I said, in Aliens, there was a family aspect that could have gone into the next film and didn't. But um, also, you can't really get around the maternal, you know, th- themes to the concept. I mean, it's just baked into the original film and dived into more in Aliens. I didn't want to, like, totally get into that because it has been done and, and whatnot. But um, I felt like the family and the link between the mother and daughter and the not link between the father and um, was just an interesting thing to, to play with. But, you yeah, know, that wasn't deliberately connected to Philip's stuff or, or anything deeper. I just um, I just wasn't too interested in this story, at least. I mean, maybe if it goes other places, there might be something to kind of get into. But um, no, I was just more keyed in on the, on the family relationships, really. I mean, there were some really interesting and atypical aspects that were, you know, I guess ripe for exploration in the alien universe. The fact that one of these family members is an android, but is also... I mean, apparently in a romantic relationship with with a mother character. And that was something we saw explored in a recent book, Inferno's Fall. Those kind of themes of like androids are this intelligent and advanced, the relationships they have with humans, like what could happen there, I find interesting. But not only that, the fact that this mother character was having um, a hybrid child that she utilized some of the xenomorph to guess keep alive because of complications in the pregnancy like it apparently i guess didn't survive at the end of the story but i was very curious about it like where could this have gone you know with their relationship to the alien but i think you're right i think honestly the prequels do get a bit divisive because i i do feel they they reveal a lot but and now now you got me rambling here but i think that you can explore the alien a bit and ask interesting questions and kind of expand that lore without Mm -hmm. giving too much away like the comic dust to dust does kind of what you were talking about earlier, Aaron, with the whole face hugger family relationship. It's like, well, there's some questions too, like alien resurrection. It's like, are they smarter than we give them credit for? So I could, I could definitely understand the the question like, well, do they actually have an emotional attachment of any variety? You know? So I don't know. I will say without giving anything away, like there are some things you just can't do from 20th. Like there's some things you'll do in 20th will be like, we we don't want anyone to think X, Y, and Z. So sometimes, like I said, creatively, that leads to challenges, but it also just means there's some things that like ideas that might be interesting that 20th won't let you go anywhere near. Like that's happened a few times. And again, like I said, I try to roll with it, but sometimes there's a reason stories don't happen. It's because 20th don't want people to go there, which is, again, it's their, it's their characters that can do what they like with it, you know? And speaking of the hybrid child, so another one of our members still collating is curious about you know that whole thing. And obviously Adam mentioned that the motivation was more in terms of her having complications and wanting to use the alien healing factor to help it survive. But, uh, you know, um, still collating is like, where the hell did that idea come from? <laughs> well, hmm. I was trying to think what I can, I can't say. The story could have gone somewhere else, but 
I got some notes back, so I had to kind of change where I was going with it. But I also, I wanted there to be a kind of a shitty good guy in it. That makes sense. You know, like, she's not a bad person, but good people make bad choices. The Shades of Grey. They're the best characters. Absolutely. And, you know, there was only three characters. I knew that Dayton was going to be a synth, so... Was that always baked into it from the start? Yeah. Yeah, from the very start. So it was a matter of, like, revealing little uh, little bits. I'll actually say... No, I don't. Okay, no, I'm not going to say. Sorry, I don't. <laughs> I was going to reveal something from Descendant, but it's too far away. But no, I had I had a story for of him and where he comes from in mind. Well, I think originally it was just that it was going to be a family. That was the first concept. But once I started writing the characters, I just thought this would be cool because there's always some kind of reveal. There's always some kind of synth reveal, and that was one of the rules. Was like there needs to be a synth somehow, and I just thought that was a really good way to do it and complicate their backstory more. And also, again, family like you know they don't always get along and. I didn't want Sasha to be this like brilliant kid who's great at everything, even though she's quite smart and capable. She's kind of a dick to her her dad. And we realize he's not exactly her dad, but he kind of is at the same time. And with Batcha, brilliant scientist, genius, loves her daughter, but like, yes, she's doing the research to to treat the child, but also is also fairly a ruthlessly kind of um, self-serving character too. You know, I think her motives weren't completely altruistic and she suffered the price for it, you know. And that's not to torture a, a horrible character or anything. It's just shades of grey are more interesting to me. And I want you to like characters that aren't necessarily good people and maybe not like characters who are who are good people, I think is more interesting. Yeah, and again, like we were saying before, like, you know, the, the maternal aspect of like motherhood and whatnot being uh, such a part of the lore, I just felt it was, there was complications there to do with that were just more interesting than them all being a happy family necessarily. So, um, I mean, it did, it did go dark. And I will say, I didn't think 20th would let me do what happened in issue four. Declan, I spent the most of issue four with the O face. I was sat there reading it oh, just like, cool. brilliant. Oh, that's great. I love hearing that. That's that's excellent because you do so much stuff and like people are so can be so nonchalant about what you're doing like the fact that good good I'm glad I mean I will say when I was writing <laughs> was when I was writing like that scene I was kind of like cringing <laughs> you know I'm like oh, I don't know. <sighs> but I thought you know what this is good if I'm feeling like this then the reader's going to feel like that too uh-huh. and I like stories I like stories that don't end with a bow wrapped around them you know like the end of of Thor Sasha escapes so that's a happy ending but like. <laughs> <laughs> everybody else dies miserably so like something bad has to happen to some people and like I actually was thinking did I end that was that too happy an ending I'm like Jesus no like <laughs> plenty of bad stuff happened and I also think it was I was trying to write a maternal character that isn't she's not just about her maternity but she's more complicated than that and yeah makes a lot of bad decisions well that is it actually we're all tapped out of questions but is there anything you'd like to say any anecdote or thought that we just haven't given you the opportunity to with any of our questions so far no, I think I, I think that's been an exhaustive session. <laughs> <laughs> that's the way we like it, at AVP Galaxy. <laughs> you got everything out of me, and I, I nearly, I nearly got revealed like a way more about the next arc than is appropriate. But um, no, thanks, thanks so much for the interest, guys. I'm, I mean, I'm really, really glad you liked the story. I was quite the superhero stuff. I know way, way more, but like the stuff that I tend to write, like my creator and stuff, leans on the darker side. So I felt like this was a really cool fit for me and uh yeah like i said i'm glad with how it came out and i'm, and I'm very glad that like you know I, I don't really read reviews but i did read the reviews for this book and they all seemed really good so i'm just relieved yeah <laughs> so thanks very much yeah no thanks for for your work on it and thanks for joining us we really appreciate having you oh thanks so much Ryan. and you know tell marvel that you're liking it so i can keep doing more you're only scheduled for the, the one arc with descendant now uh yeah i'm wrapping up my arc and descendant and i'm not sure after that so 
Okay. We'll see. It's not that I'm not. I, I just don't know yet. But I'm hoping so because, yeah, it's just been the last year of this stuff has been so much fun. So everybody go blast Marvel socials. Do it. Is there any socials, any websites that you'd like to direct people to? Any other theories or projects? Yeah, thanks very much. At Declan Shalvey is my Twitter and Instagram. I also have a newsletter, Declarations, where in the last one I showed my first page of Alien. Like I'll, I can, I'll, sh- I'll sneak little stuff in there that nobody sees publicly. And yeah, I have a book coming out at the end of this month called Old Dog, which is a, a kind of a spy sci-fi thriller. It's a series of image, but the collection's coming out on the twentieth. So that's kind of the thing I'm banging on about. It'll be the month before Aliens out, actually, the trade. So um, yeah, I'll have two cool books out in two months. Yeah, check me out. And that was our interview with Declan Shelby. Hope you enjoyed that. Watch or listen. Uh, we always enjoy having the creatives on that have worked on these franchises, especially the ones we like, <laughs> the the pieces of media we like. Let's be fair. The only ones we talk to are the, <laughs> the people behind the things that we like. Yeah. Well, mo- modern day. Modern day. It's usually, uh, usually who we reach out to. But yeah, if you would like to check out our website, you can always find us at avpgalaxy.net, where we have more interviews, more podcast episodes, editorials, reviews. And uh, we have recently launched our Patreon. So if you'd like to support what we do here at AVP Galaxy, just head on over to patreon.com forward slash avpgalaxy. And we've had a pretty good launch already, and we're very grateful to those of you who have already signed up for Patreon subscriptions. I am just going to go ahead and read y'all off right now as a personal thanks to all of you. So, Aaron, you get the first thank you in our Tier 3, which is the Praetorians and Elders, followed by Acid Rain 161, Bending Light, Chris Dazinger, Hunter Getz, Lucas, Sarah Evans, Tom Painter, Zeno Hunter 5669, Xeno Predalien, Zarnold Quigley, and now we are on to the Tier 2, which is our Warriors and Hunters, Anon, Chris Osbrooks, Christian Matsky, Darkness, Javar Wayman, Josh Cambrian, Sinon Sogekihai, uh, Sizzy, Swinerider, The Batman, Zach Walker, and now to our Tier 1s, our Facehuggers and Youngbloods, Ian Aelo, J.F. Bolvin, and Steve Patterson. Thank you so much for supporting us here at AVP Galaxy. We very much appreciate it. Indeed. Definitely. I was very surprised at the um, response we had to the Patreon launch and very thankful and grateful for it because you're already you're already helping us. We've already paid for two first passes on, on podcast edits, so it's already making a difference, and thank you. And Aaron is less grumpy, and that makes my life better too. So Thank you very much. Yes, definitely. Well, if you would like to follow us on social media as well, we are on all the major platforms, Facebook, X, Instagram, and Threads. If you'd like to follow me personally, it's at Ridgetop21 on both X and Instagram. How about you, Aaron? I'm at underscore Corporal Hicks on X, Twitter. X is still too weird. It's Twitter. Yeah. It, come on. We're never going to get used to that, are we? <laughs> Until next time. Thanks, everybody. This has been Ridgetop. And Corporal Hicks. Signing off. <laughs>